All right, we are kicking off a new series today. Thank you, Ty. How many of you enjoyed Pastor Ty playing some, ripping some lead guitar today? That guy. He must have been watching me or something because he's, he's learning pretty well. Just, no, I'm just kidding. That, 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 I appreciate you, uh, Ty. Thanks for playing. Um, so uh, when I graduated from high school, the summer after I graduated from high school, I got my first full-time job. Who can remember their first full-time job? I got my first full-time job in a grocery store, and this is going to date how, how old I am, but uh, I was excited because I was raking in $320 a week, and uh, yeah, I, I realized I am not for want. I have all the money I'm ever going to need. I realized I, I felt bad for all the plebes around me, all those poor souls that just didn't realize what true wealth was. I was like, I have made it. I don't even know why college is necessary. I am... Uh, <laughs> Until, that is until I found out about a thing called taxes. And, uh, and, and I was horrified to find out that uh, the state of Oregon just takes your money and it's gone. And then some a guy named FICA shows up and he takes like $60 of my paycheck. So I've got 30 gone to the state. Uh, FICA takes 60 and, and, and all, all these things are disappearing. Before you know it, I'm looking at my paycheck and I have less than $230 for my 40 hours of labor. And, and I'm like... What's going on here? And then on, on top of it, I've got to pay my phone bill. I've got to pay for gas. And it turns out that car insurance companies aren't too thrilled about insuring drivers that just started to shave for some reason. And so that bill was pretty steep. And so by the time it ended, like my paycheck was done being used, I realized I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to work just enough to get just enough money to be able to afford to go back to work. That was like, and I'm like, I'm in a cycle now. And suddenly living in my parents' basement didn't sound all that bad. I was like, you know what? Grilled cheese sandwiches the rest of my life? I can do that. Um, but uh, how many of us have ever felt like we're on that hamster wheel? And just like, is this, is this just going to, the, the never-ending cycle? And I, I'm just doing this to survive, to get to the next situation. And so um, it was a kind of a reality check for me. I was not suddenly getting wildly wealthy. I was just wildly paying bills that I didn't have before. And, uh, and a lot of us have been there. Um, so over the next three weeks, we're going to be going through the series we've entitled Making Sense. And uh, we're going to be talking about money. And let's be honest with ourselves here. The topic of money makes a lot, a lot of us cringe, right? Some of us are like, ooh. Um, it's, for some of us, it's a taboo topic. We don't talk about, you know, income and things like that. Um, I think for a lot of reasons, because it brings up fear. I remember... In college, there were times that I didn't even check my bank account statement because I was too afraid to see what it was going to say. I just left that thing sealed. I was like, if I don't read it, ignorance is bliss. We'll just kind of hope for the best there. Um, I don't know if anybody else has been in that boat, but uh, uh, money brings up fear. And and the topic of money is an emotional one. Uh, We're very tied to to the topic of of money and and our emotions. Um, In a recent study of a thousand adults that were either married or had been married, money fights were the leading cause of divorce, second only behind infidelity. Money fights. Um, that, that thing you say in a wedding ceremony for rich or for poorer sounds really, really nice. But the truth is that over 36% of divorces list financial issues as one of the greatest contributing factors in the breakdown of the relationship. 36%. 
So, so finances are highly emotional. We are, we are very much tied to them. But the Bible makes really clear, even though we don't like necessarily talking about it, even though it feels uncomfortable, the Bible is so clear that money matters. Money matters. It, we know that because of how frequently it is referenced through the Bible. Both Old Testament and New Testament. We see um, it talked about over and over again. As a matter of fact, Jesus talked about money a lot. Did you know that? 15% of the words that are recorded um, that Jesus spoke were in regards to money. 15%. Um, 11 out of 20, his 29 parables that he told dealt with money. Now, it doesn't mean money was the central point of each one of those parables. Usually they were pointing to a greater purpose, right? He was talking about the kingdom of heaven. He was talking about salvation. But he used money because it's something we all can relate to, Right? It's kind of like talking about food. It's something we all can relate to. We're like, oh yeah, food. Jesus used food in his illustrations and his, in his story. So it's, it's, it's money is something that all of us can relate to because it's part of our world. It's unavoidable. It's elemental. No matter how you feel about it, it's part of our life, right? It's part of our world. So, so what we're going to be talking about the next three weeks, let me tell you, I'm going to be honest with you. This is a baseline. What we're going to be discussing the next few weeks, I, I want you to have a realistic expectation of what we're going to come through with this with. Um, if you attend every Sunday, the next three Sundays, you are not going to have suddenly financial stability and establish healthy physical habits, personal habits, because you attended church and heard these messages for the last three weeks. That would be kind of like going to a, a CrossFit uh, re, like conference for the weekend and being like, you know what? I think I'm ready for a triathlon. You know, I, I feel pretty good about that. There's, there's a... There, there's habits that need to be, be developed. There's time and consistency that needs to be put in place to have these kind of victories in life, in our financial life. So, so let me just tell you that we are going to be talking about core scriptural models for building a godly paradigm in our approach to money, having a godly understanding of our approach to money. And um, here's, here's how it actually can have rubber meet the road moment or opportunity for you here. In a couple weeks, Pastor Ty was talking about midweek equip. And one of the opportunities in midweek equip is called Financial Peace University. And I want to tell you that this is the opportunity. If you in these messages feel like this is speaking to me, this is something I need to get a grasp of. Let me tell you, over these next few weeks that Financial Peace is going to meet this fall, they're going to give you tools, they're going to give you community, and they're going to give you real-world execution in eliminating debt and saving for the future. Did you know the average Financial Peace University participant pays off $5,300 in debt in 90 days? $5,300 in debt in 90 days. Now, the cost to take the class is about $100, a little bit more. And you might say, I can't afford that. I can't afford to take that class. Let me tell you, you can't afford not to if you're in that place. If you say, I can't afford to take the class, you can't afford not to. And we will help you find a way to take it. Come talk to me. Come talk to Pastor Ty. We will work out a, a, some way for you to be able to take the class. We can do a scholarship. But it is so important for you to have this investment in your financial future. So that's the very... That's our advertisement. We really encourage you. We aren't making money off the class. This is just, we want to help you be financially free. Amen? Okay, so let's break into what Jesus has to say about money. What does Jesus have to say about finances? If you have your Bibles, open them with me. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Now, in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, Jesus... Could I get a little more volume, Richard, on the mic? Just a little bit. Don't, not till feedback, but just a little more. In Matthew chapters 5 through 7, Jesus gives a dissertation. He's on a mountainside and he, he preaches this message and it's known as the Sermon on the Mount. How many of us heard of Sermon on the Mount? Give me an ah, yeah. Oh, we're in a wake crowd. This, this 
this, this service has the juice. I can feel it. I can feel it. All right. So, um, so Jesus delivers the Sermon on the Mount. And in this sermon, he gives this dissertation on uh, what it looks like to be one of his followers. He, he talks about what his followers do. They live as salt and light in their world. They're, how they're supposed to conduct themselves in relationship with other people. How they are supposed to pray. This is where he gives the Lord's Prayer. He says, when you pray, pray like this. And so in these chapters, these three chapters... He lays out what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And then in the middle of it, in the dead center of it, Jesus takes the majority of chapter 6 to talk about money and to talk about possessions. So we like to think, oh, it's church, we better not talk about that. In the middle of Jesus' main sermon, he made a main point, let's talk about money and let's talk about possessions. So it must be something of pretty big importance. So if you have your Bibles, let's see what Jesus has to say. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 19. Starting in verse 19, um, now, there's this section, we're going to break it down into two sections. I think there's two distinct areas that Jesus talks about. Starting with this first section, in verse 19, Jesus says, Don't store up treasures here on earth, where moths eat them, and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. And when your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, the actual word here is mammon, and we'll be talking about that in just a little bit, but Jesus talks about storing up treasures. And when we hear treasure, when I hear the word treasure, I think of pirates. I don't know. Uh, I've got a great pirate joke, but it, I don't think it would be appropriate for this moment. If you ever want to hear a good pirate joke, just come tell me. Ask me after service, Brent. Tell me the pirate joke. It, it'll change your life. But um, when I think of treasure, I think of pirates. I think of, but, but this treasure that we hear when Jesus talks about this, that doesn't sound like something I really care about, right? Uh, to me, the, it's not the, the glitter of gold or like the feel of the banknotes in my hands that I desire, that Jesus is talking about. He's like, when you're, when you're thinking about treasure, you're not thinking about like the literal things like that, but it's the thing that those things can supply that become what our hearts crave, right? We don't often think, ooh, money, and we're like, we're like uh, uh, Uncle Scrooge or like the, you know, swimming around in his, his uh, tank of gold or anything like that. That's not what we're talking about or thinking about when we're talking about treasure. But it's the things that those treasures can buy, the things that are money and, and the things that, that they can provide for us. And, and it's those things that try to supply what our hearts are craving. You see, money provides for the treasure we seek. It provides entertainment, right? How many of us have more than one streaming service that we are paying for each month, right? It provides comfort. I like to be comfortable. It provides recognition. It provides security. And that's a big one for many of us. Money can provide security. It provides status. If you have the, the right uh, income, if you have the right place, it can provide those things. It can provide comfort. How many of you ever heard the term retail therapy? Retail therapy. 
Anybody ever heard the term retail therapy? Where, where you go buy something new and shiny and it makes you feel really good for a few minutes? It's, it's your new thing. It's just like this drug. It hits you like an endorphin and suddenly you just have this moment of euphoria while you have this new thing. But how many of you know that doesn't last very long? doesn't last too long. And so, so this, this treasure that we seek can be like these things. And there's so many things that are vying to offer us what our hearts are truly desiring. There are so many things that are vying. Sandy, if you can go to the next slide for me. There are so many things that vie for our attention, that vie to, to win over our hearts. No, it's the many things that are vying for our hearts. It's okay. Okay, so, so there are so many things that are vying to offer us what our heart desires. But nothing that we can buy lasts forever. Think about it. Try to think right now about anything you could go buy. Is that thing going to last forever? Is that item going to last forever? That's why it's called consumer products, right? Consumer products. That means we consume them and then they're gone. We, 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 uh, Jesus saw this when he was talking about this. He says, there's going to be things you buy and moths will eat them. And to be honest, I don't think I've ever had something like, oh great, the moths got it. I don't know. Maybe the moths aren't an issue anymore. Maybe they are. Maybe people are like, moths are a real problem these days. But in, in many circumstances, I know there's mothballs and people put in their closets because moths eat clothes, right? The things of value. Jesus's day, you had maybe a jacket or two. And so if a moth ate it, you were in trouble. He said, moths can eat the things you value. Moths can eat the things that are most important to you. He says, rust can eat away things that are important. How many of us have had a car that's been eaten away by rust? We can think of the things that rust has destroyed. There's just a natural tendency. It's the second law of thermodynamics. Things will break down. Things will fall apart. And so Jesus sees this. He says, the things you buy, the things you can invest your treasure in, they'll get uh, eaten by moths, apparently. Rust will destroy them. He says, thieves will break in and steal them. And I've had that happen. A few years back, we had someone, while Hosanna and I were both at work, kick our front door in and ransack our house. To the point when the police came, they said, does someone have a vendetta against you? And they stole my video game system and our TV. They went through all our drawers. They took everything they could that wasn't bolted down. Let me tell you, thieves will steal. And people steal identities. They steal all kinds of things that we we think are valuable and that we think are safe. But then, we don't even need thieves for all of it. Can I tell you, I've probably lost more than I've had stolen. How many of us have ever lost something? I got a really nice pair of AirPods from from my wife, and I lose those every single day. Every day, she's like, I don't even know why you go through this. Um, We lose things all the time. So so these consumer products, they're lost, they're forgotten, they're stolen, they're destroyed. Just time goes on. And so Jesus sees this. He says, you're investing in things that aren't going to last. You're investing in things that seem so important, but they aren't going to last. And then he goes on in verses 22 and 23, and I don't know if when I read this it stood out to you, but it feels like it doesn't belong with the rest. He talks about, start talking about eyeballs and lights into your body. Did you guys catch that? He's like, if you have, uh, you know, he says your eyes like a lamp that provides light for your body, and when your eye is healthy, your body is filled with light. And he's talking about eyes and light between, and that's between these two sections where he's talking about money, and it feels like it's kind of in a vacuum all, all to itself, but this is actually very much tied together. If you think about focusing on what you think is light and it's darkness, Jesus is saying, 
how dark the darkness is. He says, treasure is so deceiving. You think you know what you're looking at. You think you know what's valuable and you're bringing it into your life. And he says, but how dark that darkness is. If you think it's light and it's truly darkness, he says, it's so deep. And that's what happens with our riches. When we put our value into riches that we think are important, we put our value and we build it up on this sand base that seems so important. How deep the darkness when we build it on something that won't last. And Jesus sees this warning, he says, how dark, how, he says, you're, you're looking, your eyes are looking at a treasure that is dark. Your, your eyes are telling you you're looking at light, but truly it's darkness. But the thing is, false treasure is really crafty. It's fool's gold, right? The, I, I like to think that uh, I would very easily identify the right things to invest in and eternal things. But can I tell you, we are so easily pulled away and deceived. We are so easily distracted by what we think we need. If it was easy to identify and resist, it would be a non-issue. But money allures us even more than we think. When people are truly met with the, the, the opportunity for financial gain, they are really brought to a, a crossroads. Um, there was a, a, an anonymous uh, survey done. And they asked the people in the survey, what would you do for $10 million? $10 million. And here's what the respondents said. 25% said that they would willingly abandon their entire family for $10 million. 23% said they would become prostitutes for a week or more. 10% said they would withhold testimony and let a murderer go free for $10 million. 3% said they would put their children up for, for adoption for $10 million. Wow. See, money, money feels like it could answer things that our family can't even answer. It feels like it could answer so many things. But the truth is, money makes promises that it can't deliver on, that it fails to deliver on. It's like a carrot that you're chasing that never, you can never fully catch. It's like, pursue, pursue, pursue. I need this. And if only I had blank, it would change everything. How many of us can think of something where you've thought, if only I had this, it would really be a life changer? This item. This amount in my savings account, this thing, this whatever it might be. If I had this, it would change my life. And, 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 and for some of us, it's that thing. They say with older generations, um, it was especially, I think, because maybe coming through the Great Depression and things about the things you could have, the physical things you could have. And it was about owning stuff. But they say with the younger generations, it's more about experiential things. It's, it's FOMO, they call it, fear of missing out. I want to do that. I want to experience that. But can I tell you, you might say, well, I'm a younger generation. It's not about having the stuff. Can I tell you that experiences cost money? The things that, that we invest in are still in the same way. Both require treasure. Um, and so to have those things, we start often taking shortcuts. Um, we live in a debt-saturated society. Did you know 40% of Americans, 40%, take out loans that are beyond the amount they're able to pay each month to pay it back. 40%, almost half of our nation takes out more loans than they're even able to pay back in their monthly payments. And that's not even counting the people that are just making the minimum payments to stay afloat. And you think about how we want that immediate gratification. I want this thing now. And I want this toy now. And I want to have this experience today. And, and we're promised if you pay, you can have it now and you can pay tomorrow. And we have this, this idea of consuming. And, and so Jesus sees, what in this section here, Jesus sees what the number one competition for our hearts is. It's money. It's treasure. 
Where, where this earthly treasure, the, the things that would sat, seem to satisfy, the things that we would want to complete us. And he says, no one then, Jesus says, can serve two masters. Because you're going to either hate one and love the other, or you're going to be devoted to one, and you're going to despise the other. You can't serve both God and be enslaved to money. Now this is a binary statement. This is an A or B statement. There is no... Uh, Both are correct. There is no uh, all of the above. There is no C or whatever. It is A or B. And Jesus says, you are either completely committed to God or you are enslaved to money. And money, if it becomes your master, it masters your life because what consumes our mind controls our life. What consumes our mind controls our life. Last week, we talked about the Ten Commandments. This is Commandment number one, you will have no other gods before me, right? And uh, every one of us, it's, it's like built into our DNA. It's how we're wired. We are wired to worship something. We are wired to worship something. And, and, and so we have this desire to worship something. And, and, uh, and if it's something that's other than God, the Bible calls it idolatry. And when I think of idols, I think of the little statues on the, on the mantle and then the whole family gathers around and they're like, oh, ancestors, you know, or something like that. That's not just what idols are. We're talking about an idol is anything that captures our affections, anything that, that captivates our imagination where we find ourselves daydreaming about it. That takes our resources. It's something that, that we find our significance in. Where our security and our safety are found in it. Our fulfillment. We receive our joy from it. And so this is the idols that it's talking about. Where we put all this value into it. And the idol can actually not just be in the way we want to spend it or enjoy that money. It can also be in the way we hoard it. How many of us know our savings can be our security? Our, what's in our account can be our security. And so um, this is exactly what Ecclesiastes chapter 5, listen, Solomon writes this, most wealthy man that ever lived had every resource he wanted. And this is what he says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Man, the guy had it all. What, what else could there be? But he says, you'll never have enough. Think about the most wealthy people in the world. I have been baffled by this. Have you ever wondered the billionaires you see on TV working until the day they die? Just working like crazy. And I'm like, I would cash in some of those stocks, whatever I need to do, buy an island, go hang out and relax for the last several decades of my life. But they work and work and work because why? It's never enough. There's always something looking to satisfy. Because money and resource and treasure that we try on this earth will never satisfy us. And this is what Jesus is talking about. When it becomes your idol, it will become, it will create this empty void in you. And you look for this purpose and it will be ultimately left empty. And Jesus says, all of this said, is this where you're putting your hope? Is this where you're seeking your satisfaction? Now, let me tell you this. Let me, let me tell you this. And this is just, um, I want, I want you to understand that money in and of itself is not evil. Um, it might sound like I'm coming across as money so bad. Money in itself is a tool. Money in itself is, is a tool and, uh, uh, it's neutral. It's a very neutral thing and it makes an excellent tool, but money is a terrible master and it very easily moves from tool to being our master. And so as we're going to unpack later, the greater responsibility we have with this tool that's been provided to us, the more God can entrust us 
with. I have a small workshop in my garage, different saws and different things like that, power tools. And as Gavin and Judah get older, I work with them on those tools. I show them how to use them. And the more responsibility they show with them, the more I can entrust them with bigger and stronger tools, sharper, more, more tools that require that responsibility. I would not hand, hand my uh, miter saw to, to my youngest child. I, he's not there yet. In the same way, when God entrusts us with this tool that can so easily become an idol, that can so easily overtake what should be prominent, as we're faithful with that, as he sees our faithfulness with it, he can entrust us with more. And we're going to talk about that more in the coming weeks. But uh, we'll unpack unpack that later. But, uh, But in the same way, this is what Jesus says then, moving on to the next section. He says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food, and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon and all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and then thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. So why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers but your heavenly father already knows all your needs so seek the kingdom of god above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need so don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries today's trouble is enough for today wow so jesus says don't worry don't worry about this stuff which is Easy to say, but Jesus knows that money for us equals worry. Isn't it crazy that Jesus spoke these words 2,000 years ago and it's just as relevant today. People are just as worried about money and and what tomorrow holds as they were 2,000 years ago. Perhaps on a different level, on different things, but how many of us still worry about our finances? It feels like there's not enough paycheck for the amount of month and all these things. And Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. I know that your minds are going to go to worry. Your minds are going to go to fret and concern. But Jesus says, he says, we, 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 I want you to know that you, that, uh, that, that, uh, tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Trust me with today. Now, the truth is we do worry about finances though, right? Nobody ever says, listen, we need to have a talk about finances. And you think this is going to be a good conversation. This is going to be fun. <laughs> They're probably going to say, we just have too much of it. I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm, I'm putting it in mattresses. We got to find a place to put it. No, it's, it's like there's concern that comes with finances. There's concern that comes with money. And Jesus knew that we would worry about it, that there would be concerns about it. But, but he says, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow has its own worries. Doesn't the father provide for the flowers of the field and the birds of the air? And how much more does he care about you? I've got this. Trust me with it. Corey Ten Boom, who was alive during the, uh, you can wait just for a second on that, Sandy, who was alive during, um, the, uh, World War II, she was, lived, she was a, lived with a Dutch family, and they hid Jew, Jews in their, in their uh, home, in closets. There's a, a book she wrote called The Hiding Place, and uh, talk about scary day in and day out, not knowing what it would hold. But here's what Corey Ten Boom said. She said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future 
to a known God. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. We don't know what tomorrow holds. But I like to think somehow I have control about what tomorrow is by worrying about it today. But what she's saying and what Jesus is saying is tomorrow's got enough worries. You don't need to worry about tomorrow. It's got its own worries. But trust me with today. I have got this. I have got you in the palm of my hand. He says, I am enough for you. Am I enough for you? He says, I'm, I, in verse 33, God promises his provision for those who live righteously. Those who live righteously. Now, let me tell you this. That, that doesn't mean that we are called to live an impoverished life necessarily. It doesn't mean that God has guaranteed us all wild amounts of wealth. Here's a couple just practical truths. Just because you have a lot of money does not prove that that's God's favor for you, favor on you. And just because you're going through an experience where you're experiencing the absence of a lot does not mean the absence of God's favor. We see very, lots of examples of very wealthy, evil people in the Bible. And, and uh, uh, we see in the Psalms, he said, uh, he, the psalmist says, God makes it rain on the just and the unjust. You know, there's what, we can't always understand why things happen the way they do. But in, on, the, on, the other side of the, on, on the other side, we see that uh, uh, there are times where the righteous go through incredibly difficult times. I think of Elijah where he didn't have enough to eat. I think of uh, uh, Job where he lost everything, all his earthly possessions. Uh, Paul himself went through a time where he said, um, I, don't, I don't have the resources that I, th- I feel I need, but yet... I I have learned to be content. And so he's learned contentment in his need. And so there are times where we don't have uh, whatever it may seem. But let me tell you, God will always see the righteous through with enough. God will always see the righteous through with enough. Now, also, on the other side of that, I want to mention this, that righteous living includes being wise. It doesn't mean that we just live, you know, like, well, we don't know what tomorrow holds and just live wildly. Um, that, that there's wisdom to, to saving. I'm not saying that savings is bad. As a matter of fact, in Proverbs 21, verse 20, Solomon says, there's desirable treasure. What's the word there? Say treasure. Treasure, treasure and olive oil. Let's guess, guess. In the dwelling of the wise. But a foolish person devours all he has. So there's nothing wrong with, with having uh, savings for being wise and things like that. But let me tell you, when money is a resource and a tool, it's wonderful. But when it becomes, uh, uh, and, and when it becomes a, an idol is when we need to be concerned. You see, money is a resource that when we use it wisely, it can become an investment. It can be something that we can use in times of need. We can use for others who are going through times of need. We can use it for the gospel and, and, and investing in eternal things. This is why Jesus is talking about there is a direct link to the kingdom of heaven with how we use our earthly treasure. Resourcing ministry, investing in things that bring eternal yields. But the question is that we need to ask is, where then is your heart? For where your heart is, there your treasure is. Where your heart is, is there, that's where your treasure is. So, the book of Luke, there's a, a wise young ruler, it says, or uh, not wise, there's a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus in the book of Luke, and he says, what do I need to do to earn eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know the law. He says, have you been following the law? What's the law? The Ten Commandments, right? He says, you've been following the law. He says, I've been honoring my father and mother. I have, I have uh, done all these things I have, since I was a child. And Jesus says, well done. Okay, you're ve-, he says, you're very close to the kingdom. He tells him, you're very close. He says, here's what you need to do. Take all that you have, sell it, and come follow me. And it says, the young man went away sad because he had much wealth. And we realize who his God really was. It was in his resource. 
Jesus gave him a really high calling. I mean, to, to sell everything you have. But here's what the, the, the line that Jesus was drawing in the sand. He says, is, is money your master? Is money your answer? Is, would you rather have what's on this earth, the treasure that you have here, or would you rather have eternity? Where is your treasure at? And for that young man, his heart was set in one direction, and that was on what he had and what he could lay claim to, what he could control, the, the fact that he felt he had control of these things. And for many of us, we feel like we have some sort of uh, ability to determine our future because of the resource or the strength we have and maybe our own business and being able to use our mind and intellect. But let me tell you, when money's our master, we become its slave. And it consumes us. And it consumes our priorities. And it ultimately steals, steals us from the very joy of following Jesus and possibly from our very salvation. Where do you put your hope? Where do you put your hope? This morning, let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. And the first thing I want to ask you is this. Have you been putting your hope in anything other than Jesus? Have you been trying to build up earthly reserves and, and security in what you have or maybe just finding joy in the things you can buy or provide yourself and it's left you empty and you realize this has left me so empty and searching for purpose and I need something more. The car I drive isn't enough. The house I live in isn't enough. The food I can buy, the things I can do. It, 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 I always come back to this point of being empty and I need something more. That something more is Jesus. And right now, I want to invite you to know Him as your personal Lord and Savior. No longer making money your Lord, making something you can earn your, your, your Lord, but Jesus alone, your salvation. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if that's you and you say, I have been living for other things and it's not been Jesus and I need Him to be the Lord of my life. I need to surrender to Him and make Him my King. If that's you in this room with our heads bowed and eyes closed, will you raise your hand and raise it high? I want to pray with you. Raise it high. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Yes, anyone else want to join these? Come on. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down right now, church. We're going to pray this prayer together. And what I ask is when we're done, when we do our connection cards in just a moment, will you, if you raised your hand or you wanted to, mark that you gave your heart to Jesus because we want to connect with you. We want to help you along the path of what it means to follow Jesus from this point on. This is more than just a moment of prayer. This is a determination that Jesus is now your Lord and Savior and you're going to follow him. And so we want to connect with you and help you along this journey. So now, church, we're going to pray this prayer out loud together. And this is a prayer of faith. So let's pray this. Say, dear Jesus, I believe you're my Lord and you're my Savior. I know that you're the Son of God who died for me, saved me from my sin, and is alive today. So right now, I give you my heart from this day forward. You are my king. I will follow no other. Only you, Jesus. In your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. There have met several in this room that gave their heart to Jesus today. We celebrate with that. That is wonderful. Right now, I want to take one more opportunity. If we could bow our heads and close our eyes. And this is very personal. Has money taken your eyes off Jesus you might say this is a message that's for rich people because it's about having lots of money no if, if 
the money or even the concerns of having the lack of money have taken your eyes off Jesus. If the storm of having not enough has taken your eyes off Jesus, look at what Peter did. He was walking on the water, but where did his eyes go? To the wind and the waves and off Jesus. And Jesus needs to be at the center. You say, the the allure of the things of this world, the earthly treasures that seem so valuable have started to build up and block out Jesus. And there's starting to be darkness in my eyes. And I'm realizing, realizing it now. The Holy Spirit's revealing to me that I'm allowing darkness into my eyes. And I don't want that darkness to hold on anymore, but I want to have light as I look on Jesus, as I keep my eyes on him, fixed on him. I want to start building treasure for eternal things, no longer for the temporary things. And right now I'm making this precedence in my life that from this day forward, I am making a line in the sand where I'm going to invest in things that matter. Not the things that just ease personal tension, ease personal pain in a moment, but right, but right now I'm going to invest in eternal things. And you say, that's where I'm at. I'm feeling the Holy Spirit leading me. And I, I need to just realign and come to a point where I say, Jesus, I put you back on the throne. I take myself, I take mammon, I take, I take this, this, uh, this distraction that money can be off the throne. And I put you back at the center, Jesus. No longer pursuing the things that would give me comfort, the things that would bring, bring me recognition, the, bring, the things that, that just so easily leave me empty. But right now I need you, Jesus, and you alone. I'm coming back to my first love. If that's you in this house, between you and Jesus, raise your hand, raise it high. I want to pray with you. Raise it high. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Jesus. To be honest, we all are in a place where the things of this world are so alluring. They seem like they hold the answer. They seem like they will give us the fulfillment we need, but it's not there. It's empty. It's fruitless. Lord, right now, we recommit ourselves to putting you on the throne. We, we recalibrate our hearts. Where the enemy would try to tell us that the the answers we need are, are what we can earn or buy or show off, Lord, that we would put you back where you belong so that we would uh, earn eternal things. Things that one day when we step from this life into eternity are still there. Things that when we see you face to face have eternal merit. That God, that, that, uh, that, that this life, when this uh, heart and flesh fail, we will see the return on far beyond this day. And Lord... Teach us to trust you with tomorrow. Lastly, if you're in this room and you have been fearful about tomorrow with what finances are, having the answer with the right amount of money, if you have whatever it might be and you say, I need to trust God with my tomorrow, I I have a hard time believing he'll provide for me. And today you need to trust him. As the righteous will never be begging bread. You say, Jesus, I trust you with my tomorrow. I'm going to stop holding on to my worry and believe you with that. If that's you, I want to pray with you as well. Can you raise your hand while we all have our heads bowed? Yes. Many in this room, a lot of concerns, a lot of worries. Lord, right now, for the worries that cloud our vision, the worries that would would tell us that that we have uh, so much to fear and try to lock us up in a prison of, 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 of our own doubt, Lord, I pray that you would set us free. 
Jesus, we pray that there would be liberty in Jesus' name, that the, the children of God would not be locked down to fear, not be taken over by the things that would tell us that uh, we will we'll never have enough or that you won't provide, but God, we would know that you will always see us through, that you will provide for us each and every day, that you will give us our daily bread as we wait on you. And Father, that that trust would then echo into the other parts of our life as witnesses. We would stop being so concerned about the day-to-day so that we could keep our eyes on the harvest that's out there of souls that are, 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 are needing to be one, that the, our job as called people is beyond worrying about tomorrow so that we would see what you have called us to today. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are our provider. I pray for financial miracles for those that are in a place right now that need a financial miracle, they need a breakthrough, that they're right now in that place, they say, God, if that's true, I need that answer to prayer right now. I pray, God, that you would provide in profound and amazing ways, that you would uh, baffle us, Jehovah Jireh, in ways that we have never seen before, that you own the cattle in a thousand hills. There's nothing that is not yours. And Lord, right now we pray for miracles in Jesus' name, for those that are needing an answer to prayer. We pray for healing. We pray for answer to doctor bills. We pray for answers uh, to, to, to uh, housing situations. Lord, we pray that your hand of provision and miraculous, uh, that, that your arm is not too short to do the incredible, to do the supernatural. And Lord, we pray for that now, that there would be testimonies that are told from this day forward about what you have done, and we would not forget them. In your name, Jesus, we thank